So as I said, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And as you are aware, the word Advent simply means coming. We are about to celebrate the arrival, the coming of the Christ child, Jesus, the baby born in the manger. And there's great celebration. There's great cause for celebration for this event, which changed the course of human history. Very simply, light came into the world and shone into the darkness. The world without Jesus is a very dark place. All you have to do is think back to a time when you didn't know him and compare it to where you are now in your relationship with Christ. And you see that light has dawned in your life because of Christ, shining the light of truth and love and peace and joy and hope, those things into your life. Advent is about two things. Well, three really, but we'll get to the third one. The two things that Advent is about, generally, if you're taking notes, uh, you might want to jot these down. Advent is about waiting expectantly. And the second thing is Advent is about urgent preparation. Not just preparation, but urgent preparation. See, the first thing, waiting expectantly, I think that we can all get our minds around that. Every, even, even the secular world out there is focused on Christmas, maybe for all the wrong reasons, but they understand that there's this concept of waiting on Christmas to arrive. They may not even want to call it Christmas, but they're in anticipation. They have a sense of expectation in the season as they anticipate gift-giving and receiving, maybe uh, increases in sales, maybe time off from work, maybe family gatherings, those kinds of things. But for us as Christians, as believers on Jesus Christ, the season has this special expectancy. We celebrate the coming of the Christ child and all of the hope and love and joy and peace that comes with him. I think the whole of Christendom understands the waiting expectantly part of Advent. Now, the, the second thing, this urgent preparation, is probably a little less understood. <clears throat> Certainly, it's not understood at all by the secular world. But it's also probably not fully understood by the majority of Christians out there. Now, I'm not talking about this hurried, hectic type of preparation as, as we make our gift lists and we brave the crowds at, at the stores or we order gifts online hoping that they get here in time or we stock up our pantries so that we have enough to feed everyone who might visit us. Maybe we're stocking up on food. Maybe we're stocking up on, uh, I don't know, toilet paper. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about that kind of preparation. I'm talking about this urgent preparation that Peter speaks of in our epistle 
for today. It, I'm, I'm speaking from 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. And I know it's not the one that's in your bulletin, but that's okay. Yeah, it is. Is it? Yeah, it is. Hallelujah. I love it when a plane comes together. So this is what Peter writes in chapter 3 of his second letter. He says, This is now, beloved, the second letter that I'm writing to you. And in them I'm trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. And also you should remember the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through the apostles. First of all, Peter says, you must understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever, since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And they deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, Peter says that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, as you read that, as you hear that, I realize that Peter's message is not the message most of us are in tune with as we count down to the appearance of jolly old Saint Nick. That's some real end of the world stuff that Peter's talking about. It's not the message that most of the world is anticipating with Christmas. But see, this is the point of the first advent. This is the point of the coming of Christ into the world. To prepare the world for the second advent. The second coming of Christ as King of kings, Lord of lords, and ruler and judge over all of humankind. See, the love of God for his people is the reason he sent his son the first time. So that we might be saved. 
the, the righteous and holiness of God is the reason he's going to send his son the second time. And we have to be fully aware of that. We have to understand that now is the time to prepare. Now's the time for urgency in our preparation. And so it's really a, a, a time of hurry up and wait. If you ever served in the military, that was kind of how you lived, wasn't it? <laughs> hurry up and wait. In other words, get everything done so that you're prepared for when the event happens. And then wait in that preparedness for it to occur. So, two things about Advent. It's about, as we said, waiting expectantly. And then it's about urgent preparation. But there's a third thing that's a little less talked about. See, Advent is also about resting. Resting. You might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. How do we rest and urgently prepare at the same time? I've got too much on my plate to rest this time of year, Pastor. I mean, there's presents to wrap. There's gifts that I still haven't bought. I'm in that category. <laughs> there's holiday meals to plan and shop for. Uh, there's stuff to do to prepare. And then in the midst of all that, well, we're still dealing with, with this COVID thing. And so there's preparation, but there's also restraint. There's a tension between getting ready for the season and also, well, not wanting to overdo it, not wanting to expose ourselves or anybody that we care about to this virus. So where there might have been parties and socials and, and vacations and trips planned, now everything's different this year. But still, who's got time to rest? Now, if you're ministry-minded, and aren't we all ministers of the faith, right? If you're ministry-minded, if, if you're engaged in one of the ministry opportunities going on in the church, then you might be thinking, now's the time to get busy, right? Now's the time to spread the true meaning of Christmas. Now's the time for spreading the gospel. Now's the time for seeking faith. And you might be wondering why... As, as sometimes I do, just being transparent and confessing up here, sometimes wondering why the efforts that we put in to seek and share the faith seem like they're less effective than we hope that they might be. Have you ever felt like that? When you, when you want things to be effective, when you want to have impact in the community, in the world, when you want to have impact within this family, this church family, and it seems like sometimes you're not making any headway. I read a book not too long ago by a pastor by the name of Stephen Siemens. It was called The Ministry in the Image of God. And in that book, he, he talks about a missionary in China, a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. It's late 19th century. 
And Siemens talks about in his book, he says in 1869, Taylor experienced what he called a dark night of the soul. There were a number of reasons for that. He had, um, well, he had an eight-year-old daughter who passed suddenly, tragically. He was a missionary in China, and at that time there was a lot of unrest going on in China. I guess that's any time in China, right? And the heavy responsibility that he cared for all these missionaries who were under his care... He lamented about his ineffectiveness and lack of spiritual power in his ministry. And his prayer was that God would keep him from sin, would sanctify him completely and wholly, and would use him more largely in his service to God. As I read that, I kind of reflected on my own duties and responsibilities as pastor. I, I have to say that I can relate somewhat to Hudson Taylor. Because the, the task before me as, as pastor of a local church sometimes weighs heavily on my shoulders. I know you'd never know that by the way I just carry things so effortlessly. <laughs> And since you're ministers of the faith in this community, I, I think a lot of you can relate to what I'm talking about. This wanting to have impact for the kingdom of God and sometimes you feel like you're just treading water. You're not really going anywhere. Wanting to see uh, more people in the pews, maybe. And that's not the end goal, mind you, but you, you just want to have impact. I know a lot of you share that burden. I know that a lot of you do ministries out in the community doing things, and sometimes you feel like, am I doing enough? Am I really having an impact on people's lives for the kingdom of Christ? So as a pastor, just to give you a, a little snapshot in this congregation and the one down the street in Countryside, there are people who are ill, some of them terminally ill. Do you know what it's like to have a family member in a hospital and not being able to go see them and minister to them because of COVID? Sure you do. There are those who are grieving. There are those who are wondering where they fit in with many aspects of their lives and also in the life of the church. These are just people in your church family that are struggling silently. I'm not going to name names. It's nobody's business. And if you know, it's because they want you to know. But there are people who are so weighed down and overwhelmed with their own struggles that finding the power and the energy to go minister to other people, to engage in true discipleship, well, that's just difficult. I've got my own stuff, Pastor. Most days, if, I, if, 
left to my own devices, I struggle to know how I can do anything to move people along in their faith walk. Like Hudson Taylor, I can feel that I'm ineffective and overwhelmed, and I know I'm not alone in that feeling because I can hear it and see it in some of you who are trying to be a minister of the faith for the kingdom of God. I've said it often, it's not for the faint of heart, is it? It's difficult. Some people don't even want to hear anything that sounds like church, anything that sounds like the gospel. So Siemens in his book says Hudson's prayer was answered because one of Hudson's associates, a man by the name of John McCarthy, wrote him a letter explaining that he had discovered something concerning ministry, concerning this life of holiness and ministry that, that Hudson had chosen, that you have chosen, that I have chosen. He had discovered something. He explained that the problem with many people who earnestly pursue holiness and ministry is that we have what he calls, what McCarthy calls, defective faith. Uh, wait a minute, I take great offense to that. My faith is not defective. Let me explain what he means. He says they have faith that seeks, right? But not a faith that rests. They have faith that seeks, but not a faith that rests. They don't have the joyful confidence, McCarthy calls it, of simply abiding in Christ. All day long they're seeking after the face of God. All day long they're seeking to spread the gospel, but they forget the source of all of that is Jesus Christ. And we have to rest and abide in him. This is eye-opening for me. It's as eye-opening for me as it was for Hudson Taylor. Because I've always considered myself a seeker after faith. But this approach, according to McCarthy, is, well, not being so much a seeker, but more of an abider. I like that word, abide. See, McCarthy explains in his letter to Taylor that our faith is increased only by thinking of all that Jesus is and all, all that he is for us. We think about his life, his death, his work. He himself is revealed to us in the word to be the subject of our constant thoughts. In other words, we're supposed to abide in him. We're not supposed to strive to have faith, but we're supposed to look to Jesus as all we need, a resting in Jesus entirely for this time and for all eternity. Simply abide in Christ. It's His power. It's His rule. It's His glory. It's not ours. 
The clear advantage to the one who abides instead of seeks is that the burden is transferred off of my weaker shoulders onto the more capable, stronger shoulders of Christ because he's the one in whom we abide. Christ is sufficient. And abiding in him as we do, our ministry transfers the weight off of us and onto him where it belongs. And then as Christians, we have this indwelling relationship with the Holy Spirit, don't we? The Holy Spirit makes this transfer of this weight of ministry off of our shoulders and puts it back on Christ's shoulders where it belongs. See, this abiding in Christ for all believers transports the believer into the midst of the Trinity where we live and we move and we have our being. Ministry in the local church and in this community now takes on a whole different perspective. Because you and I of our own merit don't have the strength, the wisdom, or the ability to accomplish all to which that we have been called. I don't have it. Neither do you, but that's okay. Why is it okay? Because there's amazing truth of abiding in Christ is that I don't have to possess any of those qualities on my own because Christ in whom I abide has all of those qualities in great overflowing abundance. And he equips me, he equips you at every instant. For your call. That's pretty cool. I don't have to have it. I certainly don't get to own it. It's not really my ministry. It's not really your ministry. Whose ministry is it? It's Jesus Christ's ministry. And so, I guess to sum up the message this morning, and I know it's been kind of weighty. I mean, we started out with, with Peter talking about the end times. As a reminder to us all that the reason for the hope as we lit that first Advent candle is because abiding in Christ means that it's his ministry. He's the one who saves, right? He's the king of kings, isn't he? He's the Lord of lords. It's his rule, it's his power, it's his might. And so this Advent, we can be expectantly waiting for this unspeakable joy of what and who is coming. And we can, well, we should be urgently preparing for the return of the King who's coming again in glory. But let's not forget to rest in Him, to abide in Him, because all the kingdom work we do is only possible when we give it up to Him. We join with Him in what He's already doing. It's not our kingdom come. It's not our will be done. It's not our ministry at all. It's his ministry, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
This is a truth we can cling to this Advent season. Don't be caught up in the worried. Don't be caught up in the hurry. Abide in Christ. Have hope in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is Sweet Hour of Prayer.